John chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as scripture says, do not be afraid, O Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had, been, and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him had continued to spread the word that he had called Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. In John chapter 12, verse 1 following, Jesus therefore six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary therefore took a pound of very costly, genuine, spikenard ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. But Judas Iscariot, one of his twelve, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Jesus therefore said, Let her alone, in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Amen. May God bless to our hearts an understanding of this part of his word. Now then, today I want to speak to you about uh, worship. I want to talk to you about betrayal because it has to do with this man, Judas. None of us like to preach about Judas. We don't like to think about him. And yet I am almost convinced that if you should ask a secular crowd to name any of the disciples of Jesus or what they knew about them, Judas' name would almost always come to the surface. It would come to the surface because of the infamous deed which he did. Some people might be able to name Peter or James or John, I doubt it. But Judas has become a synonym of a person who is a traitor. And one of the 
interesting things that should cause us to pause and think is what I've placed in the bulletin today to keep in your mind. And that is that our master was betrayed by a disciple, by one whom he had chosen himself, by one who heard every single sermon that Jesus ever preached, by one who evidently possessed miraculous powers when Jesus sent his disciples out to heal the sick and to do many remarkable signs and wonders. One who was of his own intimate household. One who was his friend. And yet this friend executed the darkest design in all of the history of the world and it came about just the week after Palm Sunday began. You see, what had happened was that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. The raising of Lazarus from the dead, as the Gospel of John portrays it for us, is the seventh of the great signs or miracles which Jesus did, authenticating who he was, the Messiah, the true Son of the living God and the Savior whom God had sent into the world. The resurrection of the Lazarus of Lazarus from the dead had caused thousands of people to want to see Jesus. At the time of the Passover, which celebrated the event in which God delivered his people from the sore bondage in Egypt, Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims from every place would crowd into the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus had determined that he would go up to Jerusalem, knowing already that plots had been made which would lead to his death. But knowing, too, that God had brought him into the world for a purpose, and that purpose would be the redemption of our souls, and that purpose would be to show forth the love of God and the victory and power over death, and that purpose would be the reason for which Joel will be leaving us on Wednesday to go to Kenya to take the love and the service of the Lord Jesus. But the manner in which he is betrayed is something that should cause us all to stop and to think. I do not believe that Judas was any moral monster. I do not believe that he was like some little mechanical man that is simply wound up with a key and that walks his way across the page of history and falls into the pit of hell. No, Judas. Judas heard Jesus. He had his own ideas about following Jesus, and Jesus loved him. And you know, if you stop and think about it, there was even a time when God loved the devil. Did you know that? 
Before the worlds were ever created, God loved the devil. And there must have been a time when the devil loved God. But in this strange realm, which is hard for us to penetrate, souls are often hardened through subtle and devious ways in which they rebel against God. I don't know what Judas expected. We do know that he was a zealous patriot. We do know that he was intimate with Jesus and close to him. And that intimacy, we are warned, is also to be a warning to us. It's a possible thing to sing, Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end and be a perfect liar and a perfect traitor and one who will not serve him to the end. It is possible to be dominated by greed or by lust or by hatred or by any of another hundred sins that might creep into our minds or hearts or lives. We can take the Holy Supper. We can say all the holy words. We can pretend at prayers and still be disloyal to Jesus Christ. And so our very association may be a temptation. And remember this, the devil would rather gain one who belongs to the inner circle of Christ than a thousand who stand out on the edge. It's a much greater victory for him to find a traitor among the ranks of those who profess to be Christians than it is those in the bawdy houses, in the pornographic movies, and in the secular world, which is so far removed from any devotion to Jesus. And so what he wants to do is to be in church every Sunday morning, to be sure to it that we do not take this matter of loving Jesus too seriously, and that we do not examine our own souls like we should, lest we be true followers of the Lord. That's the business of the devil who led that rebellion against God and his angels. What are we doing in the kingdom, and can we be trusted? Remember where Jesus was when he was betrayed? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I have been there, and many of you have too. He was betrayed at a prayer meeting. He was betrayed on the most sacred ground on the whole planet Earth. That's where he was betrayed, a holy place. And how was he betrayed? Judas came up to him and kissed him. The sign of love was prostituted into a sign of defilement and defeat for Judas. And so it's possible for us to be in a church and be unclean in our heart 
and unholy in our motives and to be in league with the powers of darkness. Judas's sin was money. He wanted money. He must have wanted position and fame. Many scholars feel that when he went into the city of Jerusalem on that day and saw all those crowds of people and those little children singing the Hosannas and the crowd singing Hosanna, you'll remember some of you that the word Hosanna is an Aramaic word. It's like the words that Jesus said from the cross in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And it's why they misunderstood, thinking that he called from Elijah. The word Hosanna does not mean praise the Lord. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Hosanna means save us. Or save us, Lord. And what would all of these Roman soldiers lined up and down the streets have thought? if they heard that crowd looking at Jesus, even though he was riding upon a little donkey, and seeing these people with their palm branches, which were the sign of Judas Maccabeus, a great hero who had once fought against an alien people who had oppressed the Jews, hearing him say, save us. Maybe the CIA agents that would have been a part of Pilate's group came back and said, Governor Pilate, we want to tell you something. Hosanna does not mean praise the Lord. Hosanna means save us. And these Jews may be up to something that you don't know about. But that one riding upon that little donkey had not come to set up a rebellion. And this may have been the thing that triggered Judas into his betrayal. John tells us early on in his gospel, in the record of the gospel, in the sixth chapter, that Judas was uh, known to Jesus for his treachery by that time. I don't think at the time Jesus called him that he knew that, but his character began to change. He wanted to see what he could get out of it. Money was what he wanted now. And money was what he went after. And so that's why the contrast comes in the thing that I wanted us to see when I had read in your hearing the account that shows us the contrast between the worship that Mary gave to Jesus when she came there to the feet of Jesus when he was in her home in Bethany, just two miles away from Jerusalem, and demonstrated an insight into the heart of Jesus which his own closest disciples had not yet comprehended. Her spiritual, sensitive soul had somehow listened deeper and felt more keenly 
that Jesus was going to the cross and that something terrible was going to happen to him, but that God would use even that terrible thing to bring out something good. She was bewildered by it, and she could not understand it. But remember that Mary is the one who is always pictured as sitting at Jesus' feet, listening and learning. And so Jesus has his feet anointed by a very costly ointment of nard, which, as I've explained, came from northern India and was enormously expensive. And when this ointment was placed upon the feet of Jesus, there is this criticism which originates with Judas. Judas, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, he had given up on Jesus by now. He had thought, well, if he didn't take advantage of that big crowd on Palm Sunday, then he's not going to be the type of Messiah that I want, and I might as well get the money that I can get out of it. And so, he criticizes Mary's worship of Jesus. He says, why was not this sold for 300 denarii, a whole year's wages of a working man, and given to the poor? And John is careful to note that he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfrey what was put into it. Jesus therefore said, let her alone, in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And in the other records of the gospel, we are told that wherever the gospel shall be preached, this also shall be told of her for a memorial for me. He wanted us to understand that. I think he must have looked Judas right in the eye when he said this. Every time he preached a sermon and he warned that you cannot serve God and mammon, he looked Judas right in the eye. Every time he warned about the deceitfulness of riches, he would look Judas eyeball to eyeball. When the rich young ruler turned and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, I think he must have turned and looked right at Judas and shook his head because he knew where his temptation lay and it lay with that money business, that that was going to trip him up, that avarice and that greed. I've been studying the play by Robert Bolt, A Man for All Seasons, which is the story of Sir Thomas More. It's a great play, and in it, Sir Thomas 
who is characterized by Samuel Johnson, who is one of the greatest figures in all of English literature and history. Samuel Johnson said Thomas More possessed the greatest virtue of any man these islands, that is England, ever produced. King Henry VIII lied to him and deceived him and had him deliberately put to death because he would not consent to King Henry's divorce of Catherine and his marriage to Anne Boleyn. Sir Thomas More was an honest man. He was not a clergyman. He was a lawyer. Cardinal Wolsey was the Lord Chancellor of all of England. And in Robert Bolt's play, when it opens, there is a young man from Cambridge who is very ambitious. And he comes to Chelsea, where Sir Thomas More lives. And he wants a job a post, but he wants a post at court around the king and the famous and the great folk. And he asks Sir Thomas if he will give him a post, and he calls him Rich affectionately. And he's, his name was Richard Rich. And he says, no, I will not offer you a post at court. But I may have a post for you. And so Rich spends a whole night waiting while Sir Thomas goes to visit with Cardinal Wolsey, where he refuses to cooperate with the Cardinal in the divorce of Anne Boleyn. And he comes back home, and there is Rich, crouched down waiting for him. And when he had left the court, people had crowded around Sir Thomas trying to bribe him and get him to give uh, judgments that were favorable to them. And some woman had taken a silver goblet and had pushed it in his hand. And he said, what's this? And she said, it's from some poor folk in Leicester. You do more good than you know. And then she went away, leaving him stuck with the cup. Going back in the boat to Chelsea, he falls asleep and the cup falls out of his hand. And the boatman remarks, that's a, a very pretty cup. And Sir Thomas picks up the cup and he looks at it and he reads something on it. And when he does, he throws it into the water. And the boatman almost jumps out of the boat to grab this silver cup that's worth a hundred shillings and pulls it back into the boat. And he said, that thing cost money. And Sir Thomas takes it and nods and shakes the water out and looks at it. And when he arrives at his home, Rich comes out to meet him. And he said, you promised me a post. And he said, Rich, I'll offer you a post in the new school that we're starting. You'll make 50 pounds a year and you'll have a, a house and a servant. And Rich looks disappointed 
And he says, a teacher. And he said, yes, Rich, a teacher. And he said, but who will ever know about me? And Sir Thomas said, you will, your pupils will, God will, not a bad public, that. And then Rich says, why won't you offer me a place at court? And he takes the cup and he says, do you see this cup? And Rich looks at it and he says, take it, no joke, take it. You can have it. And Rich says, thank you. And then Sir Thomas says, what will you do with it? And he said, I shall sell it. And he said, what will you do with the money? And he said, I shall buy a decent gown. And Sir Thomas said, Rich, that is a bribe. And then he shows him the cup and what's carved on the bottom of it. I am the gift of Avril Machen. And he said, Avril Machen has a court case pending before the court of, com uh, of request, a property court. And he said, that's a little bribe. But when you have a position at court, they'll offer you big bribes, whole manor houses. He said, I was once offered a whole village. No, Rich, I won't offer you a position at court. Be a teacher. A man ought not to go where he will be tempted. And those are words worth remembering. Richard Rich did go where he would be tempted. And he later betrayed his friend Thomas More, and he did get his good gowns, all kind of fancy gowns, until he deliberately lied before the Parliament and caused Sir Thomas's head to be cut off. And when he walked by Sir Thomas, out of the courtroom, Sir Thomas looked at his medallion of office, and he said, what's this, Rich? And the Lord Chancellor said, he is now the Secretary of State for Wales. And Sir Thomas shook his head and said, Rich, I am sorrier for you than I am for myself. A man should not give his soul for the whole world, but for Wales, Rich, and puts it back. So Sir Thomas is remembered, and so Rich is remembered for his treachery, and here Jesus warns about the treachery that can come into a man's life when he is tempted in this way. And he wants us not to be tempted. And he shows us how we can avoid being like Judas and how we can be like Mary. We can avoid this by being willing to examine our own motives when we come to worship. 
We can search our own hearts when we come to the Lord's table on Thursday evening. When we sing the hymns, we can make them into prayers. And when we find that the painful truth is teaching us that a change should take place in our life, we can start to work on that change. We can ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We can pray. We can find the help of Christian friends. And when we do, then our life will not be a life of waste. You know what we often use the term, the prodigal son. Do you know what that word prodigal means? It means waste. And Warren Wiersbe has said this, Judas' life is a warning to those who pretend to serve Christ, but whose hearts are far from God. He is also a warning to those who waste their opportunities and their lives. Why this waste? asked Judas when he saw that expensive ointment. Yet Judas wasted his opportunities. He wasted his life and he wasted his soul. Jesus called him son of perdition, which literally means son of waste. God, God wastes things in a good way. God wastes his love on worthless wretches like you and me. He forgives us when we have failed him thousands of times. Once when my wife was saying something to me about my wasting flowers, I went up on Mount Mitchell and I thought, God wastes flowers. <laughs> Look at all these flowers. There was acres of purple rhododendron. If I planted acres of purple rhododendron, it'd be a waste. But God planted acres of pu purple rhododendron and nobody sees way up there on top of Mount Mitchell, it's hard to get to. You see, there's different kinds of waste. There's a waste that brings honor to God. We need to be wasteful as far as forgiving people who do us wrong. We need to expect to accept what God offers us that the world would call waste, which is grace, which is unmerited love. If Judas had only recognized that, instead of taking his 30 pieces of silver and going back to the temple and throwing it in the door and screaming out to the people, I have betrayed innocent blood and grabbing a rope and hanging himself. If Judas had gone all the way up the hill of Calvary, and had he fallen down on his feet and looked up into that marred and bloody face of Jesus and said, oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. 
you would have been reading the gospel according to St. Judas. You would have been naming your children Judas in honor of him. But when he recognized his wrong, he did not go to the right place to find grace. But we have that grace today, and we may come to it. We may come to it and offer our praise to him, to God. Let us conclude our work. And now, God our Father, we praise thee that we can sing Hosanna, save us, Lord. Save us from avarice. Save us from selfishness. Help us to use our substance and our service and all that we are to truly worship thee with our lives. Help us to know that we are not to judge ourselves by others, but we are to look to thee to make us what we ought to be and to know that your grace gives us the opportunity to make corrections even though the years have passed by and much wrong has been done. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit will fill us with a new desire to be faithful, faithful to Jesus Christ and faithful to him to the finish of our days. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and guide, be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore.